0: Hi, this is Seema Verma, and I'm with uh, Pastor Scott Lepierre, and he's a pastor from Woodland Church in Woodland, Washington, and he's here to talk about his great works. He's done many books on finances and marriage, and he's uh, sp- speaking engagements all over the place. So, I want to introduce you to Scott.
1: Yeah, thanks for having me on the show, CMS. So, yeah, I was uh, an officer in the army after college, and then started teaching elementary school. And that's when I became a Christian. And then my passion for ministry increased. And I found uh, my passion for teaching and coaching, which I basically thought I was going to do the rest of my life, kind of uh, decreasing. And then God opened an opportunity for me to go into ministry. This is in California, um, part-time at a church. And then the church grew and they hired me full-time as an associate pastor. And that's when I left the teaching profession. And uh, then there was a senior pastor position here in Washington, Washington. In 2010, we moved here, and we've been here since then. Um, my wife, Katie, and I, we grew up together in Northern California, so known each other most of our lives. Uh, we have nine children, and uh, so most of my time is you know, spent with my church family or my, or my uh, biological family, and I can stay plenty busy with pastoring and authoring and doing some speaking, so yeah, glad to be here on the show with you. A
0: lot. No, thank you for being on the show. It's a lot of work when you have nine children. That's a, I mean, that's like the biggest family I've seen recently. That, so that's pretty amazing. Um, so you have written a bunch of books, um, particularly, there's a, you also have books and workbooks, which each series, right? So can you yeah. tell us about what the few titles of your books are and what the workbooks mean that goes along with the book?
1: Yeah, very good. So that, one of the reasons I try to provide workbooks for, my books kind of relates to when I was a school teacher. I know that people learn much more when they take notes or write things down. And so even my preaching, I generally try to make sure that people have handouts so they can take notes or fill in the blanks. And, um, you know, we remember a lot more, even if you talk to people and they, they tell you about some really great sermon, they're not going to remember that much about it, even though they might have really loved it. But if they'll write things down and take notes, we generally, I mean, there's secular studies just pointing out how much more we retain when we take notes. And so that's why I think a, a workbook is so important. And so I try to provide a workbook for my uh, marriage books. I like to see couples go through that together. And so I think the book will be taught. I think we'll be talking about marriage today. And so my, my uh, marriage book, it's called Your Marriage God's Way. And then the accompanying workbook is called the Your Marriage God's Way workbook. And I generally tell couples that they can share one book. I mean, I'm not going to stop anyone if they want to buy two books. But they each need their own workbook. And the reason is that you don't do the work in the workbook with your spouse. You do that separately. And then you come together to talk about the answers. And so you read the chapter in the book. And do the work in the workbook separately and then come together to talk about your answers. And the reason is nobody wants to be sitting there answering questions about their spouse while their spouse is sitting right there, right? Yeah. You know, um, there's difficult questions to answer about yourself and about your husband or your wife. And I hope people take time to pray and and uh, think about the their answers, meditate on them and see how God would have them respond. And then, and then choose like one day per week or evening per week where they can, you know, many couples have a date night and let that be your date night that you come together and then hopefully do like one chapter per week, which if, you know, there's twenty twenty one or or I think 22 chapters, that'd be, that would be four months. So I don't want to see people rush this, you know, I'd like to see people actually it'd be five months, excuse me.
0: Yeah. I, I don't want to
1: see people, uh, you know, yeah. be rushed as they go through this together, And so, yeah, that's my marriage book, um, Your Marriage, God's Way. And then my finance book came out after that, Your Finance is God's Way. That's kind of my um, brand, you might say, is is God's Way. I deal with Christian living, largely books that are drawn from my sermons because, you know, I just don't have the time or really the inclination to write books separately for my preaching ministry. And so my, any of my books, I've preached on those topics and that's actually really good for my readers because what that means, because my books are drawn from my sermons, is that my books are going to be thoroughly biblical because I have spent so much time studying for my for my sermons. And that's actually how I ended up being an author. Uh, you know, I can't say that I really love writing. I didn't grow up no. aspiring to be an author. I probably would have been, you know, completely surprised growing up if, if someone would have told me that I was going to be an author. But what happened was when I became a pastor, there's kind of like, let's say, two categories of of pastors or preachers. There's preachers that their notes are very abbreviated. Maybe there's like a word or a phrase that jars their memory and tells them what to say. Uh, I'm kind of on the other side of the spectrum where my vo- my notes are very thorough. They're, they're written out. It's more manuscripted. And then I take that manuscript or those notes and I polish them and refine them all week. And so I preach on Sunday. And so I end up, my sermon notes, you know, when I step down from the pulpit my sermon notes have really, I've invested a considerable amount of time and energy into them. My wife calls every sermon like a love gift to my church because mm-hmm. she sees how, how much work I'm doing. And then those sermons, you know, go, go into my books. And I even go over the sermon with Katie. So later today, uh, you know, it worked out for us to talk at this time. I don't know when people will listen to this, but it's Saturday. And today I'm going to go over my sermon notes with my wife. And it helps me familiarize myself with them, make any changes. She can tell me if things don't make sense, and then, um, and also I'm I can be more extemporaneous because the more familiar I am with my notes, then I don't have to read them. But the, but it was my wife that noticed. She said, "You know, you're pouring so much of your heart into these sermons, and then when you're you step down from the pulpit, you're basically done with it. You know, why don't you write a book? You ought to take these sermons and and put them. And I put her off for a long time because I was so busy. But then I preached on marriage at my church and it was kind of a running joke. So it was supposed to be the marriage month, but it ended up being like the marriage year because <laughs> I just kept, kept preaching on marriage and I was enjoying the sermons and I'm kind of feeling out the congregation and they seem to be enjoying the sermons as well. Cause you, you know, you want to be led by the Lord, but you do trust that the Lord can, can you know, direct you through your congregation, and if people start kind of getting bored or feeling like it's repetitive, then you know that that might be time to to move on, even if you're enjoying it, they might not be enjoying it as much.
0: Well, it's a natural transition for you, because you're already researching and writing and preaching, then why not put it into a book, and then even your congregation can, like, pick up those books later on and say, Mm -hmm. okay, yeah, you know, and rather like the sermon, you hear it once, and you kind of tend to forget what happens until next time. But mm-hmm. uh, yeah, it makes totally sense, you know, that you're writing all these books down. Mm-hmm. Um, can you give me like a highlight of few key things in your marriage books?
1: Good, yeah, definitely. That, that's a that's a great question. And so. Um, One of the things that I really stress that I think comes out, this is a little bit of a high-level view of, of the book and definitely something that's very important to me in my ministry is the idea, uh, or let's just say the book has uh, a complementarian view versus an egalitarian view. That's what I believe is the biblical view of men and women. And so for any of your listeners that maybe aren't familiar with that, egalitarianism is generally the belief that men and women are identical regarding their roles and responsibilities. A complementarian view not compliment like praise someone, C-O-M-P-L-I, but compliment C-O-M-P-L-E, like fit together, is the idea that men and women are equal, but they're not identical regarding their roles and responsibilities. And I think any honest reading of scripture reveals this, that God does not give the same instruction to men and women or to husbands and wives or to mothers and fathers, that he has given us separate and distinct commands and roles and responsibilities. And so when you look at my book, there's definitely instruction for husbands, And there's definitely instruction for wives. And I really think the book dissects, attempts to dissect and expound on uh, or explain these commands or the instruction that is given for husbands and wives. Because really, God is the author of marriage. It's his institution. He came up with it. He knows what marriage should and shouldn't be like. He knows what husbands should should, should and shouldn't be like. I think the fullest marriage we can have is one where we strive to fulfill the roles and responsibilities God has given us. And so I believe, so I would like to believe that as people read the book, they'll see that I'm really, um, supporting my thoughts with scripture and, and it's not my opinion. You know, I haven't been married 50 years. I can, I can tell you a lot of people who, uh, have a lot more experience in marriage and are a lot, I couldn't rely on my own knowledge or wisdom about marriage. I had to go to God's word. And so that's what I'm really trying to share there, not not what I personally think about marriage. You know, Scott Lapierre's opinion about marriage. It's more what God's Word says about marriage
0: yeah. Um, but God's word is like the key to all of this right Christian living I mean if you don't know God's word then you're not going to be able to apply it in everyday situation including your marriage so then you know we come into a situation where a lot of people end up getting divorced and broken families and broken homes so it is kind of a key topic and even I am also writing on the same subject but you as a pastor would have way more knowledge and information how to live a biblical life, you know? So um, does it go into any sort of troubleshooting, um, like in a marriage when they come to kind of a crossroad as to what to do and what not to do? Or is it mostly like general principles?
1: Yeah, that's good. So pre- pretty early in the book, I talk about uh, marriage problems because every every couple has marriage problems. Um, if you really think about what marriage is, it's the union of two sinful, selfish people, because every, everyone is selfish. Everyone has a sinful nature. Uh, you know, we can argue about whether some people are more selfish or sinful than others. Uh, but the fact is, there's no denying that all of us are, Are we, we have the the flesh that tempts us and we give into it at times. And so really marriage is the union of two people that um, with sinful natures. And so we're bound to have conflicts and struggles. And so I talk in, the, in one of the earlier chapters that often our marriage problems are more symptoms than actual problems. And what I mean by that is uh, our marriage is really a reflection of our relationship with Christ. And so we treat our spouse the way we do because of our relationship with Christ. And I, I'll ask people that at marriage, con- you know, I, I'll do marriage conferences and I'll ask people pretty early on, you know, why do you treat your spouse the way you do? And I'll kind of give people some time to think about that. And then I'll, I'll share that, they the people treat their spouse the way they do because of their relationship with Christ. And by that I mean God commands me to love my wife Katie as Christ loves the church. That's the primary command for husbands. Well, if I love Christ and I want to obey Christ, I'm going to love my wife. Um, the, if I, you know, let's say Katie and I are fighting or something you know, we don't have a perfect marriage, we have arguments and I'll stress that because if I do a marriage conference or, you know, write a marriage book I don't want anyone to think that I'm, we have a perfect marriage or that I'm not sinful and selfish myself And so I'll say that when Katie and I have an argument um, and I'm upset, I'm convicted to, to still love her. Not that I always do it perfectly, but I'm convicted to still love her not because of how much I love Katie, but because of how much I love Christ. You know, Christ died for me. I want to serve him. And so he's the one that commands me to do this. And so that's why our horizontal relationship with our spouse is actually a product of our vertical relationship with Christ. And so if there's a wife, you know, and she doesn't want to respect her husband and I, and I, I came to learn this through marriage counseling because people come in, they're upset with their spouse and there's a wife that says, you know, I don't want to respect my husband. And she tells me all the reasons that he's really terrible. And, and I'll say, okay, well, you, you know, you don't want to, or she'll say, I don't want to submit to my husband. I know the Bible commands wives to submit to their husbands. I don't want to submit to my husband. And I'll say, okay, well, I, I understand you don't want to submit to your husband. And I'm not going to argue with you that, uh, you know, he's not a sinful person. I believe that he is. But if your husband doesn't deserve your submission, who does? You know, Christ does. And a husband will say, I don't want to love my wife. You know, she's so disrespectful to me and doesn't support my decisions. And I'll say, okay, I'm not going to argue with you that your hu- your wife isn't a sinful person. But, you know, she doesn't deserve your love. But who does? Christ deserves your love. So, so you really, go
0: ahead. Uh, speaking of submission in the context of marriage, what exactly does that mean? Like Good. when a wife needs to submit to a husband, you know, in a healthy relationship, what would that look like?
1: Yeah, that's that's a great question because it's it's almost a, you know, a bad word in some Christian circles. There's pastors that don't want to talk about submission or preach on it. Uh, and so submission is entirely in place for when a husband and wife disagree with each other so that the relationship can go forward. Some, okay, let me talk, there's a chapter in my book, what submission is not, and I talk about all the things that submission is not. It's not to make women doormats, it is not a woman doesn't submit to abuse, she doesn't submit to sin, um, a woman is, uh, submission is not in place so that a husband has a, a wife to wait on him and serve him hand and feet, hand, you know, um, constantly, so that's not what submission is about. Submission is in place for when a husband and wife have talked about something at length, and they can't come to an agreement. Then God has decided that the husband becomes a decision maker, so that the relationship can go forward. And so, if you kind of picture this scenario, um, you know, we can bat, we can start back in Genesis. God and on the sixth day of creation, God creates man. Everything has been good at this point. There's nothing bad. The fall hasn't even taken place yet. And God looks and he says, it is not good for man to be alone. You know, so you've got every day, God says it is good as it is good as it, is good. it looks. He saw that it was good. And then he sees something that's not good and it's man being alone. And he says, I will make him a helper. And so some women kind of cringe at that. They don't want to be called helper. But it's, interestingly, that is actually more of a, I don't want to say criticism, but it's more of a statement about a man's inadequacy or insufficiency. When God said, I will make him a helper, he was saying, man needs help. Man is inadequate or insufficient without a wife or without. So it's saying much more about a husband than it's saying about a wife. And so God makes a wife or a woman for Adam or a wife for man. And one of the ways that wives help their husbands is by providing counsel, thoughts, uh, any, you know, many times men come to me and they ask me serious decisions, uh, And I'm afraid to answer, to be honest, because I don't want to wreck someone's life. You know, I don't always know what people should do. And one of them, and so I can't tell people whether they should take this job or move their, you know, um, I can listen. And one of the most common things I'll say is, what does your wife say? Because I really believe that God wants to direct husbands through their wives. And I'll tell husbands that it's really the only the most foolish husband who isn't going to listen to his wife. Or isn't going to value the thoughts and counsel from the helper that God has given him. And so in my life, I serve with some really wonderful godly men. And I'm thankful for the elders I have in my life. But I still go to Katie before I go to anyone else. There's nobody's counsel or thoughts that I value more than Katie's.
0: So but, let me ask you this. Um, God said he, Christ is the uh, head of uh, the husband, right? So... Mm-hmm. When you're talking about in context of who do I listen to, others or my wife or a pastor, wouldn't God be also be speaking to the husband directly? Or are you saying that even though Christ is there to direct the husband, it's complimentary to kind of like view your wife's opinion to help him guide wherever he needs to go?
1: I like the, the latter. The, it's compliment, complimentary. So to me, in my life, the biggest resources in my life are God's word, God's Holy Spirit, and then my wife. And so that's where I'm expecting God to direct me and speak to me. Like I said, I'm going to go over my sermon later today with my wife. And people who sat under my preaching for any length of time have repeatedly heard me say when I was going over the sermon with Katie. She get, I value her thoughts, her input. Um, and so let's just say that a husband and wife have talked at length and uh, a wife has given her husband her counsel and thoughts and it's wonderful when you can come to an agreement right i mean it's that's the ideal scenario is that uh, it's only a foolish man that doesn't want to listen to his wife but so let's say hu- the let's say a husband has listened to his wife and they still disagree well you know are you going to play paper rock scissors are you going to flip a coin to de- to make a decision no god says that in that moment it is the responsibility of the husband. That's what it means to be the head to make the decision. And that's and then it's the responsibility of the wife to support her husband's decision. That's what it means to submit. What,
0: so if the, have, what if the husband is wrong about his decision? Still, it's not
1: re- Yeah, it's not really if. Husbands are wrong. We make mistakes. We're, and, and I have a chapter in my book about that, too. So, so one, one thing, um, with submission, I've heard women say, you know, I would submit to my husband if I agreed with him. And when a wife says that, she's telling me she doesn't really understand submission. Because submission is entirely in place for when a wife doesn't agree with her husband. If she agreed with him, she wouldn't have to submit. It's like in parenting. If I tell my kids, hey, go play outside, they don't have to submit to me. They want to play outside. When I say go clean your room or do your schoolwork, that's when submission is involved because those are things they don't want to do. And so literally, a wife is submitting when she thinks her husband is making the wrong decision, because if she thought he was making the right decision, she would not have to submit. Now, when a husband makes the wrong decision, which definitely happens, and I've made the wrong and I talk about this in my book, um, I could tell you examples. I can tell you times when I, Katie has submitted to me, she thought I should do something. I did something else. She submitted to me. I ended up being wrong, and she was right. And at that time, ideally, or hopefully, a husband acknowledges that he was wrong, admits it, and hopefully, and I, and I don't, nobody likes an I told you so person. Nobody likes I told you so people. It's always obnoxious to say I told you so. And so whether you're a husband, wife, parent, child, boss, employee, employer, what neighbor. And so I'll tell wives, if your husband has the humility to admit that he's wrong, don't say I told you so. Encourage him, applaud his humility. If your husband doesn't have the humility to admit he's wrong, you still don't want to stoop to his level. Because let's say your husband's proud and he doesn't want to admit he's wrong. Don't stoop to his level by being proud as well and then telling him, you know, I told you so, you should have listened to me. Now, sometimes, because here's here's the thing, um, Seema, there's kind of two ways that a husband can make the wrong decision. A husband can make the wrong decision because he's being prideful, he's not listening to his wife, he's stubborn, and those are sins, and then a husband should repent, and he should ask for forgiveness for sinning. But sometimes a husband does what he thinks is best, he gets counsel, he prays, he reads God's word, he talks to his elders, you know, he goes to his pastor, and and he still makes the wrong decision. The husband doesn't need to be made to feel like he sinned then because he just did what he thought was best, and his wife shouldn't, you know, kick him when he's down. Now, there was one time, and I'll tell you one time in my life, this is actually when I went into uh, ministry full-time. I switched districts. When I was in California, and I was still a school teacher, I wanted to take better care of my family, and there was a district that was on a a local naval base, and they paid their teachers much more money because they received federal funding, and I also would receive credit for my time in the military as an officer. So it was almost a $20,000 raise to switch districts. When I switched districts, I lost my tenure. And then the Great Recession happened in 2007. And I lost my job. And I was just feeling like super discouraged. I went home, Katie was pregnant with our first child. And I remember I didn't even want to face Katie, because I felt like such a loser. And I told her, you know, I had to tell her that I lost my job. And she knew that I had switched districts and left this perfectly safe position that I had. And so Katie could have, you know, beat me up or said, boy, that was really stupid of you. How foolish could you be? Why did you lose this great position, leave this great position? And now you're unemployed. Nobody's going to hire you because nobody's hiring anyone. You can't go back to your previous district. What are we going to do? But instead, she just said, you know, I'm excited to see what God's going to do to take care of us. And she was an encouragement to me. And husbands don't forget that. Husbands don't forget when their wives encourage them when yeah. they make mistakes. And so that's really what husbands need when they're feeling, because it's not easy to be a leader of a home. It's not any, it's not easy to be a spiritual leader and make decisions that affect your wife and your children and, you know, can. And you, it's you, also
0: a good point that you made that when you're going through hard times and now you can look back because you come out of it. You have nine children, you're pastor of your own church. So that dark period when you needed the encouragement, you got that. And you were able to move past it where sometimes when a relationship faces those dark moments, that's when they usually separate or have problems where they don't deal with it correctly. Mm-hmm. Um, just to, because I'm running out of time. So I wanted to share your website so people know where to find your books. And uh, I would love to talk to you more about relationships because I have many questions. So this is your website. Um, and then I wanted to showcase the books that you have written here. Um, so we just talked about your marriage, God's Way. Uh, we didn't get enough time to talk about your finances, to God's Way, maybe perhaps next time. And it looks like you've written some other books as well. Um, the Father Offers His Son, Work and Rest, God's Way, A Family Guide, the uh, Eternally Minded Mamas.
1: Those are my wife's books. Those two ah, books are my she wife's books. Writes,
0: too well, sort devotionals. You guys are both authors. And then your last one is Christ Centered Marriages. Um,
1: and that's actually, that one is a free gift. I give that, that's a short read. The other ones are books, you know, 250 pages or something. That's actually a pretty short read that um, Christ-Centered Marriages is a free gift to people that want to sign up to my newsletter. And so I'm happy for your, for your. we talked about marriage a lot in this, in this yeah. um, interview. And if people want to go to my website, they can download that Christ-Centered Marriages for free. And it's got seven insights. It's a short read, seven insights from my marriage book and okay. workbook.
0: And then it looks like you also have your own podcast and blog and some other uh, resources there. So mm-hmm. your website is scottlapierre.org. Correct.
1: Yeah, it's just my name. Yeah, scottlapierre org. Yep, and you'll put the link to it in the show notes so yeah. people can find it there. Hopefully.
0: Yes. Yeah. So lots of resources here for godly marriage and godly finances. So I, um, we only have a few minutes left, but I wanted to ask you on one of the topics was when you mentioned abuse and other things that you know that we're not required to submit to those things.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, so what what happens? or are there ways to uh, basically leave the marriage when you're suffering abuse and trauma and other things?
1: Yeah. So what I would say is hopefully people are plugged into a local church and a woman can go to elders for help. And so if we had a woman in our church that was abused and she came to us, we, we would bend over backward to try to provide a safe place for her and her children. Um, and if the abuse was criminal, then we would contact, you know, the, the authorities. And so, um, uh, that's, you You really want to be plugged into a local church for many reasons, but one, and one of the reasons is so you can receive the support you need during difficult seasons, and not much is worse than a woman being abused, whether uh, emotionally, mentally, physically, spiritually. And so if she goes to her elders, then they can start dealing with the husband, and they can provide a safe place for that wife and her children.
0: Yeah, very good if they're connected to a church. Um, the Bible doesn't say a whole lot about those Type of situations. I mean, it does mention, uh, you know, if you get divorced uh, and you remarry another, you're akin to committing adultery, and those types of verses. So, do you have any like thoughts on what God, the biblical way of doing this? Or, yeah,
1: I I appreciate you saying that. I never support divorce. I support separation. I just talked about it. uh, Putting a wife and a children in a safe place, is separating her from her husband. The marriage is for life. And I tell people this every time I perform a wedding. And so when a wife is, um, separated from her husband, hopefully the husband is getting counsel so that he can, uh, grow. If he's unsaved, he can repent. He can come to, um, you know, salvation. And, uh, but no, we don't see any, we never support divorce. We never tell, um, People that they should divorce. We support separation, but we'll tell wives, "Hey, let us counsel your husband. Let us share the gospel with him. Let us preach to him." And hopefully, we want to see that husband because First Corinthians seven says, "If you're married to an unbeliever and the unbeliever will stay, you should stay with that unbeliever because that unbeliever is sanctified right. or introduced to Christ through the relationship with you." So, one of the very worst things that can happen is for a believer to leave an unbeliever because that believer is the greatest relationship to Christ that that person has. So we right. really want to see believers stay with unbelievers so the unbelievers can become
0: believers. Right. And then the final thought, it sounds like in order to even have a biblical marriage, you have to have a godly husband who understands his role and the Bible to be able to lead his home. Right? So. It seems like without creating godly husbands um, and, you know, that role in honoring that, like that's probably like the most important part of a marriage.
1: You know, you know, Seema, I'll tell you something. We, t- we talked a lot about submission. And I don't have women coming to me at marriage conferences or at church complaining about their husbands, expecting them to submit. I don't have women coming and the biggest complaint I hear from women is not I have to submit. The biggest complaint I hear from women is I wish my husband was a spiritual leader.
0: Yeah. I wish
1: my I wish my husband would be the spiritual leader of our home.
0: Yeah. And
1: and I'll hear women will come to me and they'll complain, my husband doesn't pray with me, he won't read the Bible with me, he won't go to church with me. And sometimes I'll even ask. You know, how did you end up marrying this guy? And they'll say, well, I hoped he would change. I cannot tell you how many women have told me I hoped my husband would change. And what that means is she knew when she was marrying him that he was an unspiritual man. People have their best foot forward. Before they get married, that you're seeing the best. You're going to see a step back probably when you get married. So you can't marry an unspiritual man and hope that he becomes a spiritual, godly man once you're married to him. That's right. probably not going to happen. Yeah, so yeah. all of your, all of the single, all of the women listening who are single, they need to remember this when they marry someone.
0: Yeah, <laughs> that's another great topic. Next time, if uh, when you're on, I would love to sure. talk about singles. And, you know, what their role is. Um, but the time is just about up. So I thank you so much for doing this podcast. And I hope to speak to you again.
1: Yeah, thanks, Seema. It was a blessing for me, too. And for any of your listeners, they can reach out to me through my website, scotlapierre.org. And uh, there's a contact page there if people have any questions. And I hope they'll get that free book on christ center Marriages that I'm offering. So thanks
0: for all you're doing, Seema. Thank you. Have a great day. Okay. God bless. Bless you, too.